Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. And I'm going to read the text as we stay on this title slide. I want to read the whole text we're going to cover, and then we'll break it down a little bit as we go along. And uh, we're going to learn more about the gospel and about our hope and what God has done for us. Let's read. I'll just read this to you. You can uh, look at your handouts. The spiritual person, 1 Corinthians 2.15, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Or who who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I need to start that. Let's go to the next slide. And I want to ask God for wisdom for all of us as we go through this section. Dear Lord, help us understand things that have sometimes been confusing or difficult, even back in Paul's day when this was written. May we learn, may we grow, and may we focus on what you've done for us and how badly we need each other. Thank you for your kindness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have again, verse 15, let me read that again. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, this is going to be very difficult unless we get the context right. And so in verse 14 that I preached on last time, we find out that God has revealed himself and his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, the very creator who came into our world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, as we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 15, appeared to witnesses and bodily ascended to heaven and promised that he's coming again. That is what is revealed. What Paul has said to us earlier is that the spiritual person sees that. Who is the spiritual person? Not an elite Christian, but anyone who has believed the gospel, believed in Christ as he's revealed himself, who he is, what he did, why we need him, because the cross offended Greeks, meaning Gentiles, all Gentiles, and Jews. So if you come to Christ by faith, trusting him, that it means God's ordained, Christ crucified, then those who are born of God, in that sense, are the spiritual persons. I used the term man, anthropos, last time. Today, there's no word anthropos. It's the same idea. Even anthropos means human beings. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, that puts you in that category. Now, I'm going to break this down a little bit because there were people in Corinth telling the Apostle Paul that he was indeed not spiritual. So if you read Acts, you would have to wonder why would they say that? It'll take us probably all the way through 1 Corinthians to get that sorted out, but we'll learn as we go. So... That is the problem. Is Christ divided? 
One says, I'm a Peter. The other says, I'm of Apollos. The other says, I'm of Paul. All who know Christ are spiritual. So that word pneumatikos, which is an adjective, and then there's another word important. I have it on the slide, anacrino, which is used in verse 14 for discerned in the Lex of English Bible. Now, I promise you, I'm not doing this to overcomplicate anything. I'm doing this so we get the meaning of the Holy Spirit-inspired author. Because they didn't get it right in Corinth, and a letter had come. They had communicated. He had heard from Chloe's people, you've got divisions. And they were pointing their finger at each other. You're spiritual. You're not. I got a better gift. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with that. And so laying out the category must happen first. And the spiritual person is the one who trusts in Christ alone. And that person is born of the Spirit, and that's God's grace. So in that sense, believers are spiritual. Now, judges, anacrino, which is used in verse 14, translated discerned, also has a range of meaning. And there were some who literally decided they would judge Paul as bad and wrong. They didn't want to listen to him. They, they had somebody better. So we got to get that straightened out. Both terms are important and used throughout, often in 1 Corinthians. Actually, the words in the Greek are used in Luke, Acts, and 1 Corinthians. That's where we find that term, on a crino. So let's do a little review. The spiritual person judges, examines, and discerns what the natural man, that is the unbeliever, cannot. What the natural man cannot judge is God's ways and actions in the world to bring about his plan of salvation through the crucified Jewish Messiah. And so let's go and the next slide here, and I'll try to give you some applications for the point of encouraging all of us. When we get this wrong, and I, I, I have to say I got this totally wrong for years. And spent those years trying to be a better Christian than the others. And it took a long time to get this straightened out. If my confusion and unwillingness to do what I was taught by great teachers in Bible college could spare anyone else the difficulties that many have gone through. It's well worth learning. The spiritual person judges all things. Now, here is a key issue. What are these all things that the spiritual person judges? Taken literally, the spiritual applies to all a trust in Christ. So Paul is not denying that. In other words, he's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who actually are spiritual. If you know Christ, you're spiritual. You're trusting him. And so, as Gordon Fee and other scholars have pointed out, Taken literally, it's almost like a double entendre. It could mean this, 
But it could also be a biting rebuke to others who say, I'm spiritual, you're not. I'm spiritual, you're not. I have a better gift. God needs me. He doesn't need you. And so in one sense, it's a biting rebuke. In another sense, it is really true. The spiritual person judges that Jesus Christ is who we claim to be, that salvation comes through Christ, and that all who know him are built on the rock, are part of the body of Christ, and we need one another. If we don't know Christ and we don't believe in him, then we are alienated from God. So in that sense, it's exactly what it means. But Paul will use it ironically in 1 Corinthians, which confuses a lot of people. But it shouldn't because we can understand it. Some thought they knew things others did not, and it made false judgments. By the way, feel free to write down questions. And in Sunday school, I'm the teacher next week. Bring the questions and we'll, we'll work through this. And I want everyone to learn. And the final authority is Scripture alone, not the preacher. And so we open the Scriptures to see what's true. That's what we want to do. So bring it along, and we'll see what we can learn together. So all things in this context means those pertaining to salvation. Why is that important? Because if we take it to mean something else, then we have people defining spiritual in whatever way and judging anything they want to judge, what kind of car to buy, who should do what, where somebody should go, where they should live, what they should do with their money. And they're going to judge everything. And the problem with that is once you get off the track, and then there, uh, I found a book about that thick this last week from, uh, I think it was John Ankerberg in, in Weldon. And I had it in my library, but it got hid behind stuff. And it was from 1999. And they had a whole encyclopedia of false religious groups, many of which claimed to be Christian. Now, it's a little bit dated. They had Moonies. And Mormons, and which is in data, is still around. So most people who are religious will say they believe in Christ. But which one? Christ simply means anointed one. Christos, ha Christos, the anointed one. Is it Reverend Moon? Is it the Book of Mormon? Is it Jehovah Witnesses? Or other groups that claim they have something unique? So if that gets into the church, then you have people who know things others do not, and they cannot be judged on script, based on Scripture because they're direct revelations. How do you judge that? God told me whatever, but it may not be really true. All things are those that pertain to salvation. If you trust Christ alone and believe in him, that's spiritual. Misled, now I'm using a Greek word, nematokoi, which is plural, and that term shows up often in 1 Corinthians. Misled nematokoi, the spiritual ones, are iron, excuse me, ironically called sarkanoi. Interesting. You say you are nematokoi, the spiritual ones. Paul says you are 
fleshly ones, sarks, flesh. The pneumaticoi or sarcanoi. You get it? Probably not. We will. Let's just keep going on. It makes sense. It has a ring to it. You don't want to be a sarcanoi claiming to be a pneumaticoi. So I'll show you that I hope, hopefully today that God gives me grace. So I'll make, make a statement here that I wrote down to help us understand this. This one's my statement. If the spiritual person is a higher order Christian who knows by some special means beyond Scripture what other Christians do not know, then the one in the know can be judge over anyone or any spiritual belief in the church. Let me stop right there. I was in a group for a number of years. Our two children were born when we were in that group. And the leader said, whoever hears from God has the authority. That's, that's what we heard. Well, then, as the years went on, things, some things changed and people had questions and the organization was forced to change to a different style of church government. And the director said, we don't want to take a certain course of action. And the leader said, you're not hearing from God. Do what I told you to do. And some who went through that are still on the scene of history. That's where we started to think, back off. Wait a second. So by definition, the leader hears from God. And by definition, the other believers, whoever they are, whatever their responsibility, whatever decisions they think are wise, don't hear from God. So I've, I've experienced that, and it helped us in the long run, by God's providence, to go to Scripture alone. Back to what I wanted to say here. The next verse shows how dangerous this is. If there are pneumaticoi in the church, that's the spiritual ones, who judge even Paul to be deficient, then they will never allow themselves or their ideas to be challenged. Paul will call them sarkanoi, fleshly, fleshly ones in the next chapter. Now, let me give you a preview. I'll read verse Chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. It's ironic. The people who know God, the people who've trusted Christ, whose sins are forgiven, who believe in Jesus Christ and him alone, who are born of the Spirit, are judging Paul. But they're wrong. Let me just cite one scholar here, Dr. Gordon Fee, and I thank God that in 1988, his, or 87, when his commentary came out, it helped me understand how I'd gotten so confused earlier in my Christian life. Here's what he said. Here is another question, says Fee, another sentence that, taken out of its context, has suffered much in the church. There are always some who consider themselves full of the Spirit in such a way as to be beyond discipline or the counsel of others. He continues, Such a reading of the text is an unfortunate travesty 
since these people are usually among those needing such discipline. Leaders, we all need to be humbled, and all of us need the fear of God. We saw in Proverbs, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And to not be able to be corrected is so dangerous. It will always harm us. And Fee made a good point. It really helps to understand this. I'm going to go to the next slide here, and there are other matters that will come up as we go through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2.15b, I'm using the ESV because I thought this translation brought out the point in a very clear way. But it's himself to be judged by no one. Now, let's get this right. It's really amazing. If you apply this correctly, it's, it's important. In other words, let's give the scenario. Let's say the JWs come to your door, and they tell you, Eric's talked about this lately, Jesus is a created being. He's, he's not who you think he is. The Kingdom Hall. you got to go to Kingdom Hall. If you are born of God and believe in Christ and trust in him, whoever it is, a couple of well-dressed young Mormon guys, whoever goes around, and they have a different Jesus, you cannot be judged by the false teachers. They cannot say to you, you're wrong. You believe in the deity of Christ. You believe when Jesus said, I am that I am. Abraham believed that I am. No, 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 you're wrong. You've got to go down to Kingdom Hall. And you can't go to heaven. It's full already. In other words, they can't judge you because they have the wrong Christ and they don't have the Spirit. And so in that sense, yes. But if it means someone in the church more spiritual than someone else who believes in Christ, and they're saying, I'm better than you, I have a better gift, I'm, a, I'm more powerful, whatever it is, I, I'm, a, I'm a Peter, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, whatever it is. I know how to hear from God, you don't. That's what I heard. And um, that's not Jehovah Witnesses, that's people in the church. And that person in the church says, you can't judge me because I know something you don't know. If it's in Scripture, then we can know it. Let's go on. The truly spiritual know Christ and cannot be shaken by false claims. There's your false teachers. Now, it gets more complicated because some who appear to be Christian in a lot of ways, and we'll talk about the cross and Christ and being born of God, will actually hold to a view of Jesus Christ that when he died on the cross, he lost his divinity, went into hell as a mere man, and had to fight toe-to-toe with the devil. And when he was able, as a mere man, to defeat the devil, now he can come back out and assume his place. Now, that is held by people that a lot of us have read about. And when Ankerberg and others, and I've written about this, pointed that out, uh, I have a book by a guy named D.R. McConnell who wrote about this. And uh, listen, that's a false understanding of Christ. Deity doesn't come and go. If Jesus is God, he doesn't cease being God. 
there you have a heresy. That's a little harder to discern because it's spoken by people that seem more like us. So the nomadicoi elitists reject any examination. These are people in the church at Corinth where Paul spent one and a half years teaching, as we saw in Acts, many of whom had been ministered to by Apollos, Paul, whoever, come through. And they're saying, no, you're not good enough. I'm, I'm of somebody else. Many spiritual people equivocate on the terms. And that is what we need to deal with, equivocation. Let me cite two other scholars, Camp and Rosner, to show that really Fee's work was so well done that many else or many other scholars echo that. According to Camp and Rosner, those who are spiritual, Paul says, are not subject to merely human judgments. The verb in question is repeated for the third time in two verses, say Camp and Rosner. But this third time, Paul plays on the difference between the meanings of the verb with personal and impersonal object. In other words, you can interrogate or inquire into, and there's a play on the words. While, so therefore, while he's affirming those who have the Spirit know that Jesus is the Christ, he died for sins, he was raised, he shed his blood once for all, he ascended to heaven, he's coming again, there's a future judgment. Others say, I'm going to examine you even though you say those things. Now, has that ever happened? There are, Eric recently preached about some who say, you don't have to listen to Paul. There are people who believe that even today. Others will say, only Paul teaches scripture and the gospel, and others you don't have to listen to. So, again, I'm a Paul, I'm a Peter. Christ is only uh, to be found through one way or the other. No! We're all part of the body of Christ if we trust him and we have different gifts, and we're not capable right now at this time to know who's doing a better job of fulfilling their gift. If they're confessing Christ, any one of us trusting him, believing him, uh, holding fast to the faith once we're all handed down to the saints, having various gifts, God himself will decide who faithfully serves. There's rewards degrees of rewards, and also punishment, but that's God's business. We can't know. But if they have a false Christ, stop from God. Don't listen to anybody to tell you that Peter, Paul, Christ, Paul's had some different gospel than each other. So let me just do a little more from Camp and Rosner. Verse 15b, they say, is not Paul's exempting those who are spiritual from being examined by others, but a way of reinforcing the argument of 1, 8 through 2, 5. Paul is placing the spiritual, I mean Christ crucified, that's my comment, beyond the reach of the assessments of the wisdom of the world. The world says, who are you to tell me that the only way to go to Christ or to God is through Jesus Christ as you define him. Are you telling me that the Christ consciousness isn't right? Are you telling me that the universe won't take me to God? 
I say, yeah, not in a saving way. The universe is created. The creator will judge the created. The world will not accept or welcome the message of the truth unless we dilute it, water it down, change it, so it sounds like what they already believe. All paths lead to God. But the Bible says that God will be the judge of all. We want to know what path leads savingly to God. The universe isn't God because it's chaotic. History is full of false Christ, false claims, and a lot of sorrow. We'll see. We're seeing it even now. Let's go to the next slide. Verse 16. Again, there are two statements here, so we're going to have a couple of slides on this. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So I'm going to make a couple statements, and we'll break that out a little bit. We're going to, in fact, right now, if you want to start looking for Isaiah 40, you'll save yourself time. I had this already set in, be put up on the web. And then what's happening in the world right now started happening. And I was shocked when I read back, went back and looked at the verses. Perfect timing there uh, to comfort us, actually. So, God's plan of salvation is revealed. Jesus Christ died for sins once for all. No one was looking for Christ crucified because he offended everybody, even though it's predicted in the Bible that Christ would Die for sins. So the citation will be from Isaiah 40, 30, 13. So kind of get that ready because we're going to go to it. Next slide here, yes. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Does anybody want to volunteer? Why? Well, I instructed God and he had to listen to me. I, well, no, don't do that. That would be a horrible thing. But yet, Functionally, the whole world wants to tell God how he has to be. Have you heard people say things that are so absurd? How do we know anything about God if he he hasn't revealed it? We know there is a God. Everyone has a conscience. Most of the time burned with a hot iron by those who are doing evil. But God's revealed himself. The obvious answer, no one. The context, now this is the part that I'd written, and then what we're seeing on the news started happening right after that. No cause and effect there. It just was expected. The context, Isaiah 40, 12 through 17, should humble Paul's hyper-spiritual critics. And it's also cited in Romans 11, Have you found Isaiah 40? I'll read it to you. I'm going to start with verse 12. Look at the context here. This blows me away when I look at the machinations of evil happening in the world. 
It gives us reason for hope if we're trusting Christ. Isaiah 40 and verse 12. Who has measured the, the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in the balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Isaiah 40, 12, I just quoted. If you have your version, we'll say something very similar or exactly the same. This is from the New American Standard. Verse 13. Verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, of Yahweh, or as his counselor has informed him? That's the verse that we are looking at, Isaiah 40, 13. Now, what's the implied answer? When you have a rhetorical question, there's an implied answer. What's the implied answer? No one. No one. That came up in Job. When God appears on the scene of history in a theophany, what happens to people? They shake. I've spoken too much. I'm undone. Woe is me, Isaiah. I'm undone. I've seen the Holy One. The weightiness, the power, the majesty of God will cause people to shake. And and the only thing we can think is if the creator of the earth, the most powerful who can speak and something comes into existence, who created the entire universe out of nothing, he reveals himself. We can't tell him how he should do things. Let's go on. Keep reading. Verse 14. With whom did he, that is Yahweh, in the, in the Old Testament here, with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Same implied answer. No one. Look at verse 15. I was reading this when the wickedness going on right now in Ukraine. Now the wars happen live on TV. Very scary. Very awful. I'm reading this though. That's what's cool. The people think they can do whatever. Tyrants think I can do anything I want. Here's what I'm going to do. Look at this. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales, behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Not that history isn't important, it's crucial. Because history is a history of salvation for those who trust God. The importance of history is to realize that only God can save us, and we trust him, or the wicked, if they gain enough power, think, I'll do whatever I want, just watch. Some have learned a lesson from that, like Nebuchadnezzar. Remember when he stood, if you read, he stood, this is Babylon the Great. Look what I did. Look what I made. What happened to him? Well, it ended up good. He went up, he lost his sanity, grazed like the sheep or the cows or whatever. Then he gave glory to God in the end. We have the opportunity to trust Christ today and give him the glory he deserves now. 
because he is who he claims to be. Let's go on. A drop in the bucket to God. Not that history is not important, it is. But verse 16, even Lebanon is enough to, not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. That's Isaiah 40, 12 through 17. Here's some good homework for all of us. Let's read the whole of Isaiah 40. Go back to verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort. I think it says, comfort ye, my people. You may have that open. It's not on my notes. You read, comfort my people. It isn't just doom and gloom and there's no hope. There's comfort for those who trust in him. So I come here today with a message from Scripture that we, there's a way out of hopelessness and fear and all of this. It's in trusting in Christ who will comfort his people and keep us. And then this is also cited in Romans 11, 33. I'll just quickly, uh, in 34, where it says, All the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord who became his counselor? Here's a challenge. If, whoever's hearing this, if you were able to know what God has said, what his will is, how you can have forgiveness of sins, how you can have eternal life, you can understand from the Bible, would you welcome that? Believers will say yes, but many will say, no, I don't like it. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Well, if that's the way it is, then I won't serve God. I've heard that many times. So God is, has to have permission from sinners how he's going to save and how he's going to run his universe. Yikes. Probably not a good idea to tell God he has to have your permission. Let's go to the last part of this. Here's the powerful but. But we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Here, the word mind, which has a range of meaning, noose, but in this context, it means mindset or purpose. How do we have the mind of Christ? Because he's revealed that those who believe in Jesus Christ and trust him alone, though hated by the world, considered foolish by the philosophers, considered of no import by the people who have the power in the fallen world, but to God, those ones know God's purpose, which is salvation through Jesus Christ, who died for sins once for all. That's his revealed purpose. Salvation through Christ crucified. What we have is not derived from human wisdom or mystical practices. It's really sad how many people have headed to the east to find religion. Maybe the Hindus and Buddhists know 
Maybe somebody who took some oath or vow or took himself into some cave and sat there until God told him something. Meditation. Various things happen. But this is revealed truth. It's objective. I want to cite Gordon Fee's great statement again. Camp on Rosner, Good Thistleton. Amazingly, when I first found, when Fee, Fee was published, I was trying to figure out what I'd gotten wrong. So originally, I contacted my teachers that I had in the early 70s who were still alive, and several of them I apologized for not listening to them. And I said, what does it mean, the truth? I had taken Greek. What's the truth? Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. One of my professors that, or teachers at Bible college, still alive in the 80s, said, that means it's specifically the truth that you find in Christ, not just anything that seems true. It's true that if your tires go flat, you're not going to get very far. But the truth is the truth is revealed in Christ. And so Dr. Fee says this. I'm going to quote this because it helped me so much. This paragraph says Fee has endured a most unfortunate history of application in the church. Paul's own point has been almost totally lost in favor of an interpretation that in nearly 180 degrees the opposite of his. Fee continues, almost every form of spiritual elitism, deeper life movement, second blessing doctrine has appealed to this text. To receive the spirit, Fee continues, according to their special expression, paves the way for people to know deeper truths about God. By the way, the reason it struck me is when I found that Gordon Fee's background was Pentecostal. He wasn't uh, someone who believed the gifts ceased when he wrote this, which got my attention because I was looking for answers. About the same t- right before that, someone had spoke on the seduction of Christianity. His name was Dave Hunt, and I'd heard that. And so how do we find the answers here? Let's go on. <clears throat> he says one special brand of elitism surfaces among some who have pushed the possibilities of faith the extreme and regularly make a special revelation from the spirit the final court of appear of uh, appeal other lesser brothers and sisters are simply they he's saying they claim living below their full privileges in Christ here's something I got one more sentence and we want to go to some some uh, applications to this Let me just state this. This does not mean that God will not use everyone he's called in mighty ways. It's a miracle that any of us know God. And God will use many people in many places, in many ways, and he he uses gifts. But what we do not know is who is more important than somebody else in the church. That's a false judgment. We can't figure out who the best person was and emulate that. We need to trust God 
have the gospel on our lips, pray to God for one another and for the world that we live in, that the gospel will penetrate and trust God to use people as he sees fit. Because we gravitate to what we're good at and away from what everybody else uh, does that we don't care for anyhow. One more sentence and then we'll go to Abs. He says this, Paul's concern needs to be resurrected throughout the church. The gift of the Spirit does not lead to special status among believers. Rather, it leads to special status vis-a-vis the world. Amen. We need one another. The world hates us. The status we have is in Christ because he saved sinners and he brought us to himself. We don't deserve anything. That's why the world hates us. But if others are confessing Christ and they love him, then they're part of the body of Christ. And there's more to do about this, but let's make some applications that I hope will help us have comfort and hope in these days. True spirituality is a gift of grace through Christ crucified. False spirituality presents itself as a special means to elite status in the church. God's provision for the spiritual growth of believers is accessible. I wrote it out because sometimes I say it's like assess, which would be to judge. Access, accessible to all. If you believe in Christ, he's not going to say, now if you really want to be a great Christian, It'd be just like Jesus, go sit up on a pole, Simon Stylites, and see how long you can stay there and make everybody else send food up to you. That's not what it says. How many people can sit on a pole for so long? Well, most people wouldn't send food up to you if you were sitting there. Let's go to Romans. I'm thinking of a teacher in Bible college who commented on that. But for now, let's go to Romans 8. 9 and 10. Again, turn here. Let's look at the context. Being in the flesh in a literal sense isn't about being a Christian who's not quite as uh, sacrificial in their lifestyle as somebody else. It means being hostile to God. So turn first to verse 7. Let's get, I only had so many slides, so I start with verse 7 here. As I read it, Romans 8, 7, and then we'll go through 9 and 10, and then also to verse 11. Romans 8, 7, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, verse 7, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so. How many of you know that being hostile to God doesn't mean you're a lesser Christian. It means you're lost. You can just, Paul knew what he was talking about. Do you remember when he was hostile to God? What did it look like in Acts? Breathing out threats and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. I want, I'm going to get them. I'm going to do anything I can to them. God had a different idea. Stopped him in his tracks. That's hostile to God does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. 
Verse 8, if you want any more evidence, keep reading. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you cannot please God, it won't help to go to a deeper life seminar. I wish I would have understood that sooner. One of the things eventually I had to do was teach verse by verse through Romans. And it went okay for a while, but then I had to start changing my thinking. Now the verse is on the slide. However, excuse me. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So there are the same categories we saw in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, and then 15, if we take it in the way Paul intends. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin... Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him, verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, there will be a resurrection to glory for all who are born of God. There's eternal hope. And that's not based on how much we did for him. You saw that with the thief on the cross. Based on grace and mercy. Faith alone. Trusting Christ. What about today? If you're hearing this and you're here in person or hearing in another manner, either live or later, Do you trust Christ alone? Do you believe the truth of the gospel? Have you been living for yourself, as I was, going your own way, trying to find meaning by traveling to some Far East country where they practice meditation, as some have done, trying to do this or trying to do that? Trying to do more, try harder, be religious, trust the universe, trust your lucky stars. Well, that's a little silly, but some do, or unlucky stars. No, it's not about the stars. It's not about astrology, mysticism, religions. It's about what Christ has done in real history. Objective, true history. Believe in him. When he died... He died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. Those who come to him by faith, welcome the love of the truth, that's forgiveness of sins. He transfers those who believe, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved and be part of the family of God. 
Now let's look at the uh, false version that shows up later. I want to give you a preview to show where this is going. Last week I mentioned 1 Corinthians 15, which was the objectivity of Paul's apostolic status as well as those of the others who are called apostles by Christ. Now, there were people in Corinth who believed that they knew better than the apostle God sent to them to teach them the gospel. Let's read it, 1 Corinthians 14, 37 to 38. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize, Paul said, that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. In other words, this isn't banning spiritual gifts. It's not recognizing those who say, I'm the prophet of God, but reject the apostles. In this case, Paul. In the context, we saw what the problem is, divisions in the church. I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul's, I'm of Christ. I, uh, that's really absurd if you say that, because Christ appointed the other three and he's unique. The pneumaticos, adjective, spiritual person who rejects the true apostolic authority, here, Paul's, is False. It would be just as false if we reject any of the other apostles. Thinks is dokeo, and in this context, it means to form an opinion. It has a range of meaning, but here it means form an opinion and, and uh, think about this is the way it is or this is the way it is. Let me give you a couple examples. One is in 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks, here's our word, okayo, that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. That makes me think of a, I remember I alluded to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Didn't Nebuchadnezzar think he was wise? Oh, I'm wise. Look at what I built. Well, God humbled him, and he found true wisdom. I know there's a God in heaven. So there's irony there. 1 Corinthians 8, 2. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know as it is necessary to know. I think I know something. What do you think you know? Well... I think that the moon is made out of blue cheese. I remember an illustration. What is uh, This is some decades old before it was easier to look at the dark side of the moon. But maybe there's a little guy on the other side of the moon, a little green guy, eating toasted cheese sandwiches. There you go. There's your God. Well, you can think that, but it doesn't make it true. And then they invented ways to go around the moon. So whenever the moon 
the spacecraft comes around, he hides under a rock so he still don't know he's there. But God doesn't hide. He reveals this publicly. Now, I'm going to briefly touch on the last slide here without a lot of comment other than to point this out because we're going to have communion today. Here's what happened in Acts after the day of Pentecost. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, why is that important? False religions will always come up with something really difficult. They demand things, and only some can ever do well enough. It's all worse. But the means that God uses to save us through the gospel and then to cause us to grow, those who were gathering after they came to Christ, is accessible, meaning you don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to have a certain amount of status, gravitas, money, uh, influence. It doesn't matter. Whoever comes to God can go to the throne of grace and humbly bring our needs before him. That's prayer. The Lord's Supper is not a feast for just some. It's a feast for those who trust in Christ. We're remembering the Lord's death till he comes. There's more to be said about that. We've done some podcasts for critical issues lately on that. And think about this. If today is the very first day you ever trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're already invited to dine with the King, anticipating that we'll do so at the very supper of the Lamb, remembering what he did for us at the Last Supper. And that is the Lord's accessible means of grace. I've already uh, mentioned who's welcome. So today, as you are part of the body of Christ and trusting in him, and you believe in him as Savior, we invite you to be part of this. 